Thanks, Judy. Lord, we just ask you to be with Roland this morning and we ask you to, to bless his, his message and we, Lord, we to um, send it out to the people and, mm. and ha- they may have understanding. And we thank you for him. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, good morning. We have made it together to Revelation 21. Um, hey, this is exciting. This is good. Um, and I'm very glad about it. Look, you know, this passage is a special one for me. If ever I have been in a place where I have felt lonely or dislocated, disconnected from the people around me or, you know, ostracized, um, beat up upon, or if I've, you know, the times in my life that I have endured pain um, on whatever level, this has been a passage that I've been able to come to in Revelation 21. That's given me hope. It's given me encouragement and joy. Um, it's been this moment for me of really having the sense of amen and it can be well with who I am Um, this is the hope that we have and look forward to in Revelation 21 this is the climactic passage really um, of things really coming home where God indeed does come home to earth he comes and he makes all things new he redeems everything he comes down we see that evil has been dealt with and done away we see that things are right and as they should be. This is the hope of Revelation 21, and this is what we'll be diving into together this morning. Now look, already you'll see it's a long chapter, and well done with our reading today. It is a long chapter, and we're not going to have time, as much as some of us might love to, we're not going to have time to dive into every single verse blow by blow, we're just not going to do that um, because, again, we've been given every week a whole chapter to deal with. What I hope is, together, us as a crew, we can dig into some of the themes, some of the core things that are being communicated in Revelation chapter 21. And we can take some of those things, we can hold on to those as we leave and move on together as a community, um, but also we can be sensing this morning, Lord, not just what does this passage mean and what can we take from it as teaching, but also, Lord, what are you saying to each of us this morning? What are you saying to all of us as a community, as a church? How are you guiding us and leading us through this passage? So I want to encourage you to be sensitive to that as we talk and share together. So look, we've got a lot to cover and I just encourage you, if you've got a Bible, open it up. We're just going to dive in. Um, You'll see that We'll spend quite a bit of time up front with verse 1. And then you'll see the scope and the depth and the richness of this text. Um, So if you do have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up and you'll see Revelation 21. There I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then we see as well there's a holy city that comes down out, um, this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, And we have this all talk to us. And we have this phrase that comes along in verse 3 that says, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. You see then in verse 5, I am making all things new. So as we dig into this, 
I think it's worth actually pausing, stepping back, and if you've got your Bibles there, zoom out, look at 20. And if you can remember what came the week before, if you were here, we have Revelation chapter 20. We see a few key things. The death of the dead rise. We have the resurrection of the dead. Jesus comes back a second time. Jesus comes to us a second time. He comes back, um, and as Jesus returns, we see the dead rise. We see the judgment, the living and um, are all brought together. The living and the dead are all there together. And having been raised from the dead, we see a judgment. And we see that those whose names are written in the book of life, those who put their trust in Jesus, they are the ones who then are left behind and remain on earth and are there to see this new heavens and new earth take place. So we see death itself even is done away with and is no more. This is exciting. This is good news. This is something that we really should be clinging on to together. This is our hope. And we see in this passage, this is this beautiful picture in this vision of the type of hope that we get to look forward to. So verse 1, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I want to pause here, verse 1, very first bit. I want to talk about this meaning of the word new. Because in our culture, we have a different understanding to how it's been used here um, in the Greek. You know, there's been this school of theology we've encountered often, I think many of you might have found, that's rubbed up against this phrase, the word new, and the new heavens and the new earth And it's to mean, often in the school of theology, it's portrayed as being brand new, something completely different and new. And the thinking has been that the world as we know it has been completely destroyed through the book of Revelation. God pushes the plunger down and the world is blown up, exploded, if you will, and we find burned up and we find that God then, in Revelation 21, suddenly this fresh start takes place. And it's this brand new heavens and a brand new earth. But I don't think that this is the best way to read this passage or some of the other passages here in Revelation. We see in verse 5 that it says, I am making all things new. Now, notice that it doesn't say, I am making all new things. It says, I'm making all things new. And that's not the same as starting fresh and brand new stuff. This expression new is often used in the context of renewing. God is making everything new again. Um, Everything is fresh and whole and renewed. The word new carried these connotations at the time in a way that it doesn't for us today. We see this in other places in the New Testament. You know, for us in our culture, everything is very... Um, the next and the new. And with our approach, and we see in the West with media and so on, to consumerism and new stuff, we have a very different perception of new versus the idea of being made new. So uh, there are other places in the New Testament that highlight this for us as well. If you've got your Bibles, you might look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 12. And this is a Uh, Sorry, I should say verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I've got it here in verse 17. This is a famous passage that many people know. It says here, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away, 
And we see this here, the same phrase. Now, the Greek text literally reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. So when you become a Christian, you are made new. You are a new creation. But look, when this happened, that time that you moved closer to Christ and you became a Christian and you said, yes, Lord, I'm a part of, I want to accept the invitation to be part of your family. Yes, amen, you are a new creation. But when that happened, your old body and your former self, it didn't suddenly get burnt up and then God made a brand new you next to the old you, but rather we see that you've been made new. And this is idea of you have a new life in you. And God is, trans- and the, the words that we would see in Scripture would be transforming and redeeming. Um, and so it's similar here in Revelation. It's worth having that thought. So without spending the whole morning even just diving into this whole concept, I think it's really important to talk about together because it helps us think about who God is and what he's like in terms of the way that he loves and the way that he views and cares for his creation. The way that he is not done with it, but the way that he wants to see all things made new again. He takes broken things. We see this all through the story of the Bible. Consistently, we see that God is taking broken things and he is healing them, he is mending them, fixing them, making them new again. And this is the story we see here in Revelation. Um, We're not just talking about him tidying things up, though. We are talking about we see something completely different, that the old has passed away, completely different in the sense that it's made new again the way it was meant to be, and these old things passing away like death, sin, suffering, tears, they're no more. And so still looking at the first verse, we get another picture of this. You will see there's this interesting language in this vision that says the sea will be no more. The sea vanishes or disappears, some of your Bibles might say. Now, the sea in ancient cosmology was a symbol of chaos and disorder. Uh, It was an untamable turmoil. We had these great beasts that people pictured and visualized in the deep. Um, And it was something that was completely untamable. And these powers of chaos, they would lurk there in the deeps of the sea. And Revelation has already used this ancient imagery. It draws on this richly. We see like in Revelation 13, some of you might remember that the beasts... These evil beasts come out of the sea as the dragon, the devil, stands on the shores of the sea and we see his agents, uh, the beast comes walking out of the sea. So we have this idea of the sea is this place of uh, evil and chaos. It's uncontrollable. And so we have this imagery that's rich there and we see that this vision doesn't mean that in the new heavens and the new earth there will be less water around and it doesn't mean that our good shepherd jesus doesn't like the beach that's not what this is saying i believe actually this statement is rather clear it's saying there's an absence of chaos and evil because when god comes he takes things that are disorderly and he forms and shapes them into order the spirit of the lord hovered over the oceans the spirit the waters of the deep And then he came and he formed in the beginning. And we see this here as well, that there'll be no more sea. So God comes in this passage, Revelation 21, and he fully sets up his kingdom here on earth as in heaven. Heaven itself, we see, actually comes down to earth. And God comes down and he makes his home there. 
So I think this is helpful for us as the resurrection of the dead has just taken place. And this is talking about our eternal hope. It's helpful to pause a second time and say, hang on, um, because there's another popular misconception here or misportrayal of eternity, I believe, that has been popular in some churches. And it's worth talking about. Um, You see, it's eternity has often been misportrayed and there's been an overemphasizing of heaven as our final resting place. And it's the lasting true home that really we belong in has been the concept or the notion. And, you know, us and God belong there. And so the physical and the physical realm and our being and a physical self has often been either downplayed or portrayed perhaps as bad. And the forte has been on our eternal salvation in heaven as our resting place. And this is our eternal existence and our afterlife, what it looks like. You know, there's this, you might think about, um, there's this picture that comes to mind, this notion of us all sitting on a cloud um, in white robes with a harp. And that's our eternal existence, looks like that, as we all sing songs. Now, in the book of Revelation itself, there is an image and a picture. We do have some of these hints of things like this, where we have... um, the witnesses, the martyrs, those who have lost their lives for proclaiming the name of Jesus. We see them, they are indeed those who were slain, they are dressed in white, clothed in white, and they are there in the heavenly realm declaring the praises of the Lord in heaven. So amen. Yep, that is depicted there in that way, and it is true. But I believe, and we see here in Revelation 21 very clearly, our final resting place is something much more. Uh, more beautiful than just this, and the hope that is preached here is of a physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. And we see heaven and earth come and made into something more than we have known so far. Heaven and earth are joined, you might say rejoined, and are no longer torn apart. God's dwelling place is on earth among mortals, and we have a physical, bodily existence there in bodies that are non-perishable, eternal life together that's our hope so let's talk about what it looks like for god to have his home among mortals we see that god coming and dwelling in his creation he comes and he calls us his children we're his people and there's a sense that we get to be there in harmony with the lord there's a strong reminder here of uh, john chapter one where he came and he dwelt among us it says in john's gospel chapter one we see that Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. He says he came in the incarnation of Jesus through this, God became flesh. He came, and the language that is used is that he came and he pitched his tent among us. That's exciting. We see then, though, Jesus, of course, he ascended, he returned to heaven, but this is now Jesus coming back, and heaven and God's presence fully coming to earth and dwelling among humans, among mortals. And so what does this look like? You know, what does this eternal life actually look like? Let's dig into this vision. We actually see that when God comes down to dwell with his people forever, it looks like a garden. Now, this is exciting for me. We see that it looks like the new creation looks like a garden. We see here in Revelation 21 and 22, we've got some beautiful images that draw on um, Genesis, the story of Genesis in some powerful ways. We have the tree of life is present in a way that draws strongly, directly even, back to Genesis. 
Um, and we see in the that there's a tree of life, yes, but there's not a tree of knowledge of good or evil, but just life, life to the fullest, you might say. And we see that there's this river, a stream of water, the river of life flows out of the heavenly city. And you might think to Genesis as well, to Eden, how a river flowed out through Eden and was life-giving to the lands around it. And we see here again this image, the river of life. Um, and, but you see, as we have this beautiful picture of paradise and a garden, it's not just a garden, it's actually a city, a garden city, you might say, that comes down out of the heavens. And it's a city because we see community, we see people, humans, living together in harmony with God and in creation. So we have this beautiful picture, you know, it's this glorious city. And we see the streets of the city that descends is being described as being made out of gold. The streets are made of pure gold. And, you know, we have this image of everything being refined and made pure. Now, again, it's a vision. We shouldn't assume in the same way about the sea. We shouldn't assume that all soil, all dirt, all streets everywhere in the new creation as the world is made new are suddenly the element gold. Um, I think rather we can see clearly that this is talking about the richness and the purity of God's kingdom and what it's like. In fact, the vision of this city, this heavenly city coming down out of the clouds is not actually a city at all. If you look at the text in Revelation 21, there's this key identifier. The angel comes and says, behold, the bride of Christ. And we see that as the city comes down, it's actually the church, it's us. The city comes down. And this angel says, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. We get this picture that it's in clear, clearly that it's a vision, that this is some sort of metaphor for us. That it's not a blow-by-blow -blow physical description of a cubic city, of what heaven will look like. But we see, even by the architecture, this is not a, you know, it's not a reflection on God's perfect architectural design, sort of layout and map, but rather we see there's 12 gates. And it says even in the text, through the 12 gates and the 12 foundations of being the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And these are things that we see clearly are the, um, if you will, the full and complete people of God. So we'll move on from that. We won't look at all the details, but we will carry the big theme forward. It's interesting as we think then that this city is the people of God. There's something interesting. If you look at verse 22 in your Bibles of Revelation 21, verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in the city, John writes, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And you see here that there's no temple in the city. There's no house of worship. There's no... Um, you know, there's, there's no place for that to happen. Now, for me, this is really exciting, and I think you should all be excited too. Do you know what this means? There are no church buildings. Hey, which means there are no more leaky roofs for us to deal with, and we don't have to worry about those upkeep problems. But jokes aside, the beauty of this is, is that there's no central cathedral, you know, there's no Christendom church. Uh, building at the center of the village. Uh, there's no temple at the center of the city. Rather, we see why not, because actually God is there everywhere through the city. And the city is us, that we, if you will, 
are living stones in a temple. We are together, we see in other places of scripture, we are the body of Christ. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. These verses from scripture will come to mind. So in the end, we see God coming and dwelling with us in full. Now look, it's more than that. It's more than us actually, this is not just saying that we don't have a designated temple of worship and that God's there everywhere, but it actually means to me that because we're there in our human forms as ourselves, all that we do will be worshipful because we will have been made perfect. This is important to take away from this passage. Whether in the kingdom we are eating or drinking or strolling through the city, or whether we're singing or laughing together, it will be done as worship. Amen. We will find that our lives will be living sacrifices. And again, that verse from Romans 12 comes to mind. You can see the richness of this passage drawing on other scripture. We are living expressions of praise to God in all that we do. And there God will be revealed and present among us. And so we're created to be image bearers in the beginning. Now you see that together we are the image of God in this temple garden where God is present. And so to kind of ground all this and bring us home, I wanted to ask the question together, what does it mean? How can we offer an illustration of what this could look like in some ways? And so as we think about the hope and the peace and the community that we'll have together in the garden, I want to borrow an illustration from my friend Daryl uh, down in Christchurch, uh, Kiwi Church. He did this for our crew recently on our course as we were on our Forge training course. And um, I want to share it with you this morning. It's an illustration that I hope will capture some of this hope and peace. I haven't briefed them on this, but I'm going to ask Joy and Shane to come to the front. And I'm at their house later this afternoon so they can, yeah, they can beat up on me later. Um, but I know they're game for it. If you stand just here, I have a simple, two simple tasks for you. I'm going to talk about, very simply, in Eugene Peterson's, if you will, paraphrase of the Bible, when he is describing God in Genesis, he says very simply the word strolling is used, that in the cool of the evening, God strolled through the garden, and Adam and Eve would have walked with God. And we have this notion, other Bible translations use the word walk about, that God would walk about in the garden in the cool of the evening. So I want to invite you a simple task. If I were to say to you, first to walk down the aisle to the end of the church building, and um, I just mean walk down, as though I said, oh, could you fetch me a pair of scissors or something? And you walk down. When you get to the end, I want you to stop, pause, turn around, but then I want you to stroll back together. And church, I want to invite you to notice what you actually notice. Yeah. Away you go.
thank you, Jensen's. Thank you very much. So, take a seat. Let's give them a hand, guys. But now it's your turn. Notice what you noticed. So, what did you notice? What was the difference? Over to you. It's your turn. Yeah, I'm hearing a few things there. I'll repeat for the people on Zoom. They were arm in arm on the way back, I heard. What was the other one, sorry? They were slow and relaxed as they strolled. Yep, what else? Their faces smiled. Their faces smiled. And you can see it through the mask, that's right. They interacted with people. They interacted with people. They were at their leisure. Yeah, I like that. They were talking with folk that they were passing. And I think here, uh, and this is another thought or reflection. Mm, what was that, sorry? They were unified, yes. They were at one together. I think this is a picture that we can have of what the kingdom will be like. That we will stroll and walk with God. That toil will be at an end. That we will be relaxed and at our leisure. We will be able to stroll and move beautifully and with God and at peace. This is this deep sense of shalom as we walk through this beautiful new creation. Things made new and the world as it should be. And we will be at peace with creation, with one another, and with God, there with us. And that will be worship, just like in the garden. So to close today and to finish, I just simply want to actually talk about the Lord's Prayer. Because we pray for this every day, that we use the Lord's Prayer. When we pray that prayer, we are praying for this to come. We have this line in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, and your will be done, Lord here on earth as it is in heaven. We're called, we see this happen, your will done on earth as in heaven. Now look, we're called to embody this good news today. This is the thing for us to think about as we close. Our actions, the everyday ways that we live, proclaim this future that is to come. We're the church. We are this beacon of light and hope. We live this out today. Shalom. The peace of God's kingdom is breaking into this world and it's happening through us that we embody this new hope. So we are the heralds of a coming kingdom that we're called to live it out now by the ways that we witness. You know, the ways that we fellowship together should bring hopes to the hurts of the world, should be a safe and healing place. We are Jesus's body. We are the kingdom. And we are the speaking of what this full kingdom is as it's to come. So the ways that you interact with things in our society, like consumerism, um, the environment, to the ways that you interact with food, diet, the ways that you interact with your neighbours, and the ways that you just be and do life with them, the ways that we interact with poverty, and to other things like politics, ethics and work, capitalism, all these things, the ways that we interact with them should announce and demonstrate the kingdom of God and his good news. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do then together is, I'll stop talking, but I want to invite you together to dialogue and to share. We've got a PowerPoint on screen here with two questions. And for our application this morning, I encourage you to break into groups of, say, three to five people and talk together. Let's see what God has been saying to us. We want to ask the question, what does it look like for you in your neighborhood in your family, in your place of being? How can you use your home and all that you have? 
How can you use it to be announcing and demonstrating this vision of peace and hope? How can we start to stroll in the here and the now instead of hurry through walking? And also, where does, do you feel that God is comforting you this morning? So we've got our crew on Zoom. Hopefully they've got a PowerPoint as well and they can see some of this or so we'll put it up on the screen. Um, whether there's enough there for a breakout room or you'll be all together, we'll leave that to you. But we've got, basically, we've got a space here now for the next 10 minutes. We just want to have, and it might be a generous 10 minutes, or it might be a shorter 10 minutes, but there's a space now to break into groups of three to five, take a moment to reflect and share. How is this passage affecting you?